Welcome to the Free at Last Hideout podcast. I am your host, Chase Tremaine. This is my co-host, Tree Bark Mark. Really? I think you barked up the wrong one with that one. I sure did. And you're still drinking LaCroix. Sure am. Oh, what are we going to do with you? We are going to... <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good for much, but I am good for arguing about music. So we're going to... Arguing? I thought this was a friendly discussion. My... In my mind, arguing can be congenial and polite and civil, like our modern American politics, you know. Just like our modern American politics. Ah, I see. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, so we're going to move into our segment, Is It Five Stars? What uh, five-star album did you want to discuss this week from the history of Jesus Freak Hideout's reviews? Well, you know... The idea that I came up with, you know, we've done two albums, five-star albums so far this year. We've done a really recent one. Uh, we did one that was, you know, not quite as recent, but, a, you know, A decade still, old. Yeah, a decade old. Um, this next one, I'm going back even further, okay? Like so, over uh, two decades old. <laughs> yes. In fact, uh, 21 years old, almost 22 years old. In the 1990s, there was an artist by the name of Eric Champion, who was decently popular, mm-hmm. well-known. And then uh, he made the album, which is the subject of our discussion today, and which is John DiBiase's, one of his all-time favorite albums, Transformation from 1996. And it was in 2006 that John wrote the review, the five-star review. I actually love this album. Okay. I think that I would give it five stars too. Interesting. I, uh, what do you think about this, Chase? So when you mentioned this album to me, I was shocked to hear that we have uh, a five-star album given to uh, a 90s artist that I'd never heard of before. It seemed like most notable christian artists from the 90s were rising to the surface like you did hear about them uh, because 90s was the peak of time for christian crossover um and the sort of success that you were seeing with amy grant michael w smith jars of clay dc talk yeah who so uh, you say he's you know kind of successful kind of well known i had never heard of him before so listening this past week to transformation uh, was my introduction to him as an artist. And on on a... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but on a big picture uh, attempt to understand why anyone would consider this a quote-unquote perfect album is because it was a transformation for Eric Champion. I think a lot of people were listening to him and his career and to see him coming out with this starkly different more experimental album from what he'd been doing in previous albums would have been like this is insane however if if he would have released transformation in 1996 as his debut album as a brand new artist my sense is that without comparing to his older music it would have just been this is a very good album Uh, and that's that's where i landed 
again, I think you and obviously John have spent way more time with this album and have way more to say on it than I do. Um, but for my listen, it's like not really up my alley stylistically, not in the wheelhouse of what I'd be listening to. But in particular, the first 10 tracks of the album, I thought to be extremely solid. Um, no reason. Nine. You said nine. Oh, nine? Is it an 11-track yeah. album or a 12-track album? It's an 11-track al- oh, album. My apologies. I thought the first nine tracks of the album were extremely solid, and I found the last two to be utterly unlistenable. But, you know, you can give a great album uh, a few bad songs. <coughs> Debatably. So what, what is this? Uh, what makes this a five-star album for you? Well, I mean, I guess kind of with my history, this was right around the time when I was really starting to, you know, get into more music. And the 2012 period that you... 2011, 2012, right around that time. I think this has come up like every episode. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's because it was, I mean, it was a transformational time in my music listening career. Zing. So... I mean, seriously, I would peruse the database, the Jesus Week Hideout database, and look for albums because I was, you know, searching for stuff to devour, you know, like like a lion, you know, not not the biblical lion that searches for things to devour, but you get my meaning. The <laughs> Satan <laughs> scaring like a lion. So I was searching through the database and looking for albums. And naturally, of course, I was looking at the five-star albums in particular because I want to listen to good music. These are the albums that are most highly recommended by the site that I frequently read, which I was not a staff member of yet. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I was just looking for stuff. And so I kind of worked my way a little bit through a bunch of the five-star albums. And Transformation was actually one of the first ones that I had kind of picked up from that for like journey down to five star albums because in particular john's review made it sound like an album that was something that would be right up my alley and it's not necessarily that i'd listened to a lot of this type of experimental electronic rock before Mm -hmm. like like this album but it was what i wanted to listen to and so that's kind of that was kind of my mindset coming into this and I had a general idea and like from the literally the first listen, like 10, 15 seconds into the first listen, I was sold. Interesting. I mean, I, I was the way that the first track um, builds up, you know, I just bought into it. It had a super, super catchy beat and it was 90s sounding, but at the same time, it was a very modern, you know, just track after track. I, I just immensely enjoyed. I mean, even the songs at the end that you hate, I definitely get why people would hate them. Uh, the 10th song of the album is actually an Amy Grant cover, Every Heartbeat, from her five-time certified platinum best-selling Christian album of all time, me in motion from 1991 the song right. every heartbeat and it's just like this hyper active speed like going 180 in an 80 it makes no sense but i i just buy into it by that time in the album i like everything before it so much that i just buy into it and it just works for you yeah 
And if it was, if it came earlier in the album, you know, if it was like the third track or the fourth track or something, I wouldn't. I'm a big, um, pay a lot of attention to album sequencing. Uh, yeah. you, you, people that have read my reviews, you may have noticed that I've mentioned album sequencing a lot. And I think that this is a fantastically sequenced album and same thing with Until I Get My Way. That's a good album closer. I, and again, I agree, not one of the strongest songs on the album, but definitely a good album closer. But goodness, Dress Me Up, Transformation, Dropping Nova. Oh my goodness, I don't know how, how much I've had Dropping Nova stuck in my head. <laughs> Man, I that was one of those songs that... Like, it's cheesy enough to make me not want to like the song, but the music around it is good enough to where it's like, I still like this. Dang it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just super catchy. You know, as, as you say, Chase, you know, it comes kind of comes down to your preference and styles. You know, you're, you can recognize, correct me if I'm wrong when I say this, but you can recognize that this is a good album and an enjoyable album, but it's not really up your alley. Is that kind of accurate? Agreed completely. I actually like. I mean, I have that struggle all the time, like because I, I kind of have a, a a natural distaste uh, toward music that sounds way too just like '80s cliche or way too '90s cliche, um, and and usually not for entire songs, but for moments and for specific sounds. Uh, this album hits those those '90s things. That's kind of like it makes me cringe a little. Um, and there are some albums that I love that do that. You know, like the uh, the new Paramore album that came out er- earlier this year, After Laughter, um, has so many just classic '80s moments. The thing is, like the songs are really good, and it's like that. Like my my taste is so built up against that uh, that it pushes me away. Uh, from something that just as a song I would like and sometimes I do like sometimes just depending on being like in a in a, a less critical mood um, or not listening so hyper intently that it just it doesn't bother me um, but I, I really do think we can come to some sort of sense of good and bad that is separated from our stronger biases and our stronger tastes um Anything else about Eric Champion? Definitely a guy that has kind of been lost to time. That you know, it's worth it's worth checking out if you want to check out uh, '90s Christian artists that have been forgotten. Do you uh, have any other albums by him that you think are worth checking out as well? Um, I've only listened to a couple of his other albums. Uh, Vertical Reality, the album that came immediately before this one, is definitely something that is worth listening to. That. That one is kind of interesting. It's kind of like this futuristic concept album. Um, about the machines taking over. About the machines taking over. Yes, exactly. And uh, it's it's pretty cheesy, but it's, en- it's I mean, enjoyable. Y'all, this was pre-Matrix. All right. This is, this is pretty groundbreaking, right? This is when, like, you didn't have household computers necessarily. Back when this album came out, pre-Matrix, pre-cell phone, the world was a scary place. I know all that artificial intelligence that we were that we knew was coming. <laughs> and then Natural is a pretty good album too. That's his last album that he made, and that came out two years after Transformation. 
Very cool. Well, by the way, listeners, uh, we would love to hear from you as to whether you think Transformation is a five-star album. Hit us up on Facebook, the Jesus Freak Hideout Twitter. You know, you can use uh, staff contact form on the website. We would love to hear from you and feel free to suggest uh, five-star albums from the history of the website that you would like us to discuss. Um, but as for now, we're going to move into discussing some news. So we're recording this uh, December 1st, 2017. Uh, no idea when you're listening to this. Uh, but for us, we just got the announcement of the Grammy nominations. And the first place where I saw the quote-unquote full list of nominations for the 2018 Grammys, I scrolled down the whole list and didn't see the Christian ones anywhere. So I had to go find a different website that actually listed uh, the Christian nominations, which kind of just reminded me of the actual telecast of the event because it is a really cool thing for a Christian artist to be able to say that they've won a Grammy. Um, but Stephen Curtis Chapman has won five. Yeah, but you also you never get on television for it. I think like those are what they give out uh, right before the actual uh, screening begins on ABC or whatever network. So we had the announcement of uh, this year's nominations, and I I don't, I don't keep up with this necessarily every year. But it seems like we're seriously decreasing in how many awards are given out in general for Christian music. It, it's, uh, what do you mean by that? So I, was, I started doing some research, and there was a category a few years ago for best rock or rap gospel album. And it was a category started in 1991 as just best rock gospel album in 2007 it was uh renamed as best rock or rap Mm -hmm. and then uh, 2012 was discontinued and i i don't think i realized until now doing research that it was discontinued but this is the category that was like jesus freak hideout friendly this is uh, the category that actually seemed to have its fingers on the pulse of what was decent, if not great, if not important in our genre. That was the uh, category that um, Jesus Freak originally it won back in 1996, I believe. Is that correct? Well, it was actually awarded in uh, 97. Or uh, 97. Uh so the, the nominations would have come out in 96. But yeah, DC Talk did great in this category. Uh, New Thing, <laughs> as oh. you know, forgettable as an album as it is, actually got a nomination. Um, and then DC Talk won two years in a row with Jesus Freak and then Welcome to the Freak Show. One later with a Solo, which I know you have some uh, feelings oh, about. Well, I have some feelings about Welcome to the Freak Show too, but we'll save those. But check this out. the The year before solo switchfoot got a nomination for learning to breathe well yeah as they should have well yeah but like this is way before uh they were really uh like a big deal you just look back in so many classic albums like you know dc talk jesus freak beat out uh newsboys take me to your leader audio adrenaline's bloom rebecca st james god like that's a pretty stacked year um yeah although all those albums are all very solid very good albums 
Right, and you, you go through the years and see, uh, like, Reliant K getting nominations, Skillet getting nominations, December Radio got a nomination, which is hilarious, uh, Sanctus Reels album, We Need Each Other, uh, which was a huge album for me, uh, got a nomination, uh, Gunger's Beautiful Things, uh, David Crowder Band's Church Music, Lecrae's Rehab. Lecrae. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, really, this... this award was the only evidence that the grammys actually knew anything about uh christian music because when we move over to the uh best contemporary christian album which is still being awarded uh it took the place uh, i think it basically uh took the place of two other awards like they they were mixed together well um, I'll, I'll i'll break in here a little bit um i actually ahead. remember I actually remember when this happened because, you know, I I kind of paid a little bit of attention to, you know, Grammys, to, you know, Christian artists at the Grammys. And it was more of a casual, you know, as I'm sure it is for you, just, you know, see what's going on, what, what, what albums are getting awards and whatnot. And really, like, micro history here, uh, there wasn't a time that... There, there was a time when there really wasn't a distinct line between a gospel music and what we now call Christian music. Um, you know, artists that would be generally considered gospel artists were really popular contemporary Christian uh, artists and had really popular sales amongst, you know, the crowd of listeners that generally listen to Christian music, you know. The Winnians come to mind, BB and CC Winian, um, in particular. Oh, for uh, sure. Uh, Andre Crouch uh, earlier than that. Um, a few others that are escaping my mind. Um, and then, you know, Kirk Franklin, like in the '90s, early 2000s, around that time. You know, now the, we have a much more distinct line between what's Christian contemporary and what's gospel. And in 2012. That's when when this change happened. That was the reasoning behind the change that, okay, these two things, which were kind of distinct, kind of, you know, or not not distinct. They were indistinct. Now they're distinct. Right. So they broke it off in that way. And uh, what that ended up losing, however, is really the rock. Because now there isn't an album that can, or there isn't a category that can really accurately get a true nomination as a Christian rock album. Um, You're not going to see a rock album get nominated for Best Contemporary Christian Album. Because those albums are very very much defined by what you hear on the radio you know if we look at this year's nominations um let me see here uh mercy me uh zach williams danny goki danny goki i think natalie grant has a nomination for a song that she released two years ago (laughs) you know they're popular artists on the radio and, right. you know, the albums themselves are fine. I'm actually a big fan of Lifer, so go Lifer, cheering for the Grammy win, or Gra- Grammy, Grammy, 
it's Grimimini Anemonemini. Cheering for the win for them there uh, in both the uh, album and the song category. Although, I, even if isn't one of their best songs on that album, but I, I digress. <laughs> Quit digressing all the time. Y- you know what I mean. Yeah, so you had these different categories that were strong. And I think the first, the first year of this new category this best contemporary Christian music album category had some of the best nominees that the category's ever seen. Like Gunger's Ghost Upon the Earth was a fantastic album. Leland's The Great Awakening was a fantastic album. And then you also had Brandon Heath, uh, Mandisa, Royal Taylor. But what won that year was Chris Tomlin's And If Our God Is For Us. And that, I think, kind of set the tone of what this award became about. And so, ever since then, you know, if if your name is Chris Tomlin, you get a nomination. If your name is Casting Crowns, you get a nomination. If your name is, like, Matt Redman, Matt Mayer, like, these are the types of artists that you see. Um, and that's not to say that none of them release good music. You do see some solid albums on here. But you don't really see any great albums on here. There's good albums here. There's There's nothing great. There's nothing boundary pushing. Very good word, boundary pushing. That's... A good definitely that's a good phrase to describe kind of this category that is the way that it's been again like i'm not i'm not saying that there are terrible albums it's just that this is not any indication of what's actually great of what's actually interesting in the christian if music they industry. cared about what was actually great and actually interesting then in 2014 there would have been a unanimous voting in favor of King's Kaleidoscope becoming who we are. <laughs> right. And I, that's 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 never going to get on the Grammys radar. And I think this never. seems, mm-hmm. one, indicative of just how uh, there doesn't seem to be much care to represent the genre, but how for a lot of genres, it seems that the Grammys just make the fairly obvious choices. Metal music is a place where there's a little bit of a shining hope sometimes with the grammys uh, like speaking of christian music you know it's a secular genre but we did see a nomination this year for august burns red uh, which is awesome uh, their song invisible enemy got a best metal performance nod yeah <laughs> you can cut that one out yeah you uh you sang it oh <laughs> oh man did I ever tell you that I was a vocalist in a heavy metal band? No. Well, that's because I wasn't. What a disappointment. Yeah, so we had a a funny thing about the nominees this year is we had a news post that uh, Provident Music Group leads Christian industry with 10 Grammy nominations. Well, there's so few categories now that there's really only 20 nominations across all of Christian music. And that includes gospel. Right. Five gospel songs, five gospel albums, five Christian songs, five Christian albums. So for Provident Music Group, uh, which is owned by Sony, to get half of all the Christian nominations just seems ridiculous. Like, do the Sony, does Sony own the Grammys or something? It seems so absolutely bizarre obviously like sony doesn't have 
uh, a monopoly on the good Christian music, but apparently they have some sort of maybe I don't know maybe the funds that it takes to uh, promote these songs to Grammy voters. I I don't know. Are you with me on how sad this is? <laughs> yes, I'm with you on how sad this is. It makes me yearn for <laughs> for better days. You know, just looking at the uh, the history of the best pop contemporary gospel album, man. There's been so many good ones, so many good winners, so many good nominees. Looking through the 90s is just beautiful. And uh, speaking of our, our next news topic, you look at... 19, 90s? Yeah. Uh, ni- like 1992? Yeah, 1992, Like, like an album that came out in 1992? In 94, Stephen Curtis Chapman... Let me vanish. Stephen Curtis Chapman won three years in a row the uh, best pop contemporary gospel album category. Uh, he won uh, in 92 for this for for the sake of the call for the sake of the call which is one of my favorite Chapman albums of all time and then really? he won I don't like it it's one of the few albums I don't like <sighs> finish finish <sighs> and then he won for the great adventure and then he won for the live adventure um I hope you at least think that. Uh, oh, I enjoyed the live adventure. That for the sake of call is better than the live adventure. I I I, uh, I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't get into the live adventure. It you was, mean for the sake of the call? It was two nine or for the sake of the call. It was just two nineties for me. See, I'm the guy who actually has like a knee-jerk reaction to something that's 290s. In 1992, I don't think For the Sake of the Call is particularly 90s at all. Well, I mean, that is true, kind of, in a way. It's not necessarily that it's really 90s, it's just that it's really dated. (laughs) And there are some times when datedness does not bother me. For example, Michael W. Smith's 1992 album, Change Your World, which is one of my all-time favorite Michael W. Smith albums. Agreed. Totally dated. 100%. Mm-hmm. You cannot listen to this album without 90s being screamed in your ear. And The 80s moments, is pretty strong on that album, too. The 80s, yes. Uh, synthesizers and just, oh, pop and bright. and So much ham <laughs> schmaltz like the horn sections i love it yeah smith smith is good at schmaltz <laughs> but I, I i can't get into the for the sake of the call it's just too man. dated it's too downtoned man i don't that makes any sense no better place on earth than the road that leads to heaven i don't see what's down about that there are good songs on it Okay, okay. I okay. I I like a lot of the songs on it. Well, as maybe an album, maybe then I, it's we just should switch not one of my favorite albums. Maybe we should switch to discussing the uh, album that's actually in the news. Yes, the one that actually I do love and I gave a 5 star or not 5 star, a 4 and a half star album review before I joined the staff as a a writer. A uh, reader rating or as a, a reader reader rating? Mhm. Let's go for it. Uh, the Great Adventure. Yeah, so it was released the same year I was born. And uh, my age, it's now uh, hitting its 25-year anniversary. 
and it it was a pretty notable landmark album for Chapman. I believe this same year at the Grammys, the music video for the title track, The Great Adventure, also got a nomination, which if you have not seen the music video for The Great Adventure, it is a hootenanny, <laughs> which means, as I saw in a gif earlier today, a whole ton of hoot and a little bit of nanny. <laughs> it is such a hilarious video. So campy. And somehow it got a Grammy nomination. But uh, yeah, th- this... And th- so much mullet. Oh, mullets galore. I think everyone in the band had a mullet <laughs> in that music video. And there's just... They're on a ranch. This huge this horizon behind them. And the bassist making the funniest, like, shoulder motions while he plays. And horses running around. Oh, it's an adventure. Um, in all seriousness, uh, Chapman didn't know the adventure that God was going to put him on. And his career has been filled with hardship and tragedy in a way that uh, was quite unexpected. And so now we have him looking back at these older albums as landmark things that he's able to sing in a different way. You know, he had a an autobiography, you know, book come out earlier this year, and the title is a play on uh, Between Heaven and the Real World, another one of his early albums. And now, for the 25th anniversary of this album, uh, he has released a new version of the song, The Great Adventure. Uh, so what do you think of that new version? It was good. Solid. Okay. Some somewhere around there. It was I de- I can definitely see kind of where he was going with this version, I think. It was a lot slower than the original one. Um right. And just being used to, you know, kind of the uh you know, 112 BPM of the original and you know, this one comes in at probably closer to 60 or so. Uh, I don't know where you're getting these numbers from. (laughs) I'm I'm making them up. I'm I'm going, I'm playing the song in my head and I'm like going, okay. Well, you're very clearly making them up because we're talking about beats per minute. Uh, 60 and 112 are almost the same. Oh, no, no, no. I I know what you're, I know what, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, you know, pick different numbers then, you know? Yeah. If pick, pick different fake numbers or, don't pick fake numbers and just say the new one's slower. It kind of kills the momentum a little bit. In comparison to, you know, how bright and optimistic the original song is, it's kind of the same problem that I had with in 2011 when uh, he released his recreated album and he had this, again, hyper slow version of Dive. Dive? <laughs> and. It, the difference is a lot more drastic in dive because yes, it feels like three times slower in dive in comparison to the original version. And this is, you know, not nearly that drastic. So I actually, I did want to bring up uh, that album recreation, uh, which is six years old. came out in 2011. I, <laughs> I just love that album in general. Oh, um, I, I love that album too. It's I love album. basically every version. I actually think that his version of dive is fantastic. I also uh, would heartily choose 
the version of The Great Adventure that's on that album rather than this new one. As would I. Right. That one, I think, managed to retain what was great about the original while adding a new element. And I think this time, with this 25th anniversary version, tried to make something so different and so unique that, like, if that song was brand new, I don't think that would catch on. Like, if if this 25th anniversary was the first version of The Great Adventure, I don't think it would be, like, a radio success for Chapman. I think the slowness uh, does hurt the momentum of the song. I think musically some cool things end up happening throughout the song, especially in the bridge. Uh, but overall, it's not too much to speak of. Um, it's an interesting experiment, but it's an experiment that I think was done much better on the recreation album. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. What's funny is, so that came out towards the end of 2011. If he was trying to capitalize on the anniversaries of his old albums and his old hits, it would have made sense back then to, you know, just hold the album in a few more months, release it in 19 or release it in 2012 and be like including like the 20th anniversary version of The Great Adventure. Um, I don't think that idea was even on his mind back then to do anything like that because in 2011, uh, these anniversary projects, I was never hearing of them. Whereas in the past four or five years, they've become a really big deal. Artists all the time are going on these 10th anniversary tours of albums. Jars of Clay uh, 20. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's it's so pervasive. And there, there are bands getting back together who've broken up in order to go tour for like the 10th anniversary of their debut album. It's really crazy. And quite frankly, a lot of us just eat it up. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. There are some albums that I would love to see toured. Um, you know, I personally went to go see uh, the 10-year ten, ten anniversary for Emery's album, The Question. So for some people, it seems like a cash grab. For Seam Curse Chapman, I think it's actually uh, an attempt for him to point back to his book. I think uh, promoting that has been just a very large part of his uh, career this past year. I have no idea when we're going to get a new album of like standard pop music i don't consider worship and believe to be uh an actual follow-up to the glorious unfolding i would love to see a follow-up to the glorious unfolding in 2018 but i'm not holding my breath but yeah, i just something about this making so huge a deal out of the 25th anniversary of the great adventure kind of seems like hopping on uh this trend of anniversaries being such a big deal right now and nostalgia being so uh so trendy america is hooked on nostalgia yeah we are and i can't blame them because nostalgia gets me every time (laughs) right there are albums that i just cannot recognize as being good albums in any serious way that i just like because for one reason or another, of uh, nostalgia. You know the band Jump 5? Oh, no. Nostalgia. My sister loved them. and uh, There's I no co- excuse, Mark. There's no excuse. Well, here's the thing. I couldn't stand them. But my sister loved them. I think they actually performed at my church once. And 
I still can't really stand them, but I just can't help myself. If I, I enjoy listening to them for purely nostalgic purposes so I can remember how much I couldn't stand them 15, 18 years ago when my sister just loved them. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> We're talking about nostalgia. We're talking about Jump 5. <laughs> and I don't know well, what to say. Ha- they have a lot to do with Stephen Curtis Chapman. What can we say? No, they don't. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Get out of my house. Um, oh, don't worry. I'll be in Minnesota in a flash. Tennessee. Whoa, you're there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where like an artist can can try to do nostalgia or make make a big nostalgic deal about old things, but ultimately, like it's in the power of the fans to care or not. You know, a band can go on a ten year tour. And none of the dates can sell out because there actually just wasn't that much interest. Uh, or, you know, that kind of reminds me of, um, I remember last year, um, Grits did a Kickstarter and I think they got maybe like, and I mean, you know, Grits, they did the, ooh, ah, Oh, I ooh. totally remember Grits. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they were really popular. They made like eight albums or nine albums. And, you know, they hadn't made anything for a long time. And the Christian hip hop scene had really changed since the last time they made their album. And, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and they came, they came and they uh, started a Kickstarter. And I think they got like 12%. And oh. I felt so terrible because so I'm like, they're good. They were enjoyable. They deserve better than that. But, you know, the timing was off and the yeah. the culture had just changed. I mean, that's exactly my point that uh, trying to hit on nostalgia isn't a uh, guarantee for success. Ultimately, it's the fans who prove whether they care or not whether they want to be nostalgic so it i don't want to you know accuse chapman or any of these other artists about just doing any sort of cash grab because ultimately it's the success of anything nostalgic is based on the choices of the fans uh so like we are choosing whether we we want to hop on these 25 year anniversary merch bundles or not like that's up to us okay well do you have any nostalgia for this day and age? Is that kind of a band that, um, you know, if they were to get into a reunion tour, that you would jump onto the bandwagon and oh. see in concert and all that stuff? I would be on it. I I didn't discover this day and age until they had broken up. Um, technically, uh, the singer left and they regrouped without him as the Reign of Kindo. Uh, the Reign of Kindo is another favorite group of mine, and I have seen them live, but I would kill to see this day and age live. And uh, as we do every week, uh, we take turns forcing uh, the other person to listen to an album that they've never heard before. And last week, I assigned to you The Bell and Hammer by This Day and Age. So the Bell, Mark, and, you... the, the bell and the Hammer. I forgot a the. I was speaking quickly. Uh, Mark, what did you think of it? In a nutshell, I liked it. Yay! I'll probably keep listening to this album after this week because you know what? It's yeah. 
It's good. I mean, I if, when you described this band to me last week, uh, the way that you described it, and immediately, you know, I pulled up the track listing and I read the track listing. They seemed like something that I would like. You know, mm-hmm. the Bell and the Hammer is a uh, C.S. Lewis reference uh, to right. one of the books from the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Magician's Nephew, in specific. You know, a lot of these album or a lot of these song titles, more of a climb, less of a walk. Uh, Sarah. Oh man, that Sarah. might be my favorite song, but it, it's mm-hmm. hard to pick. Of course, we've all seen the sun. I love these song titles, and just so, mm, you know, I I almost was won over by this album just from reading these song titles. <laughs> you know, the album itself. Now getting into really soothing at times and then you know not a little bit more unnerving at times never really all that aggressive but you know just really you know i can put this on as background music uh and i really and i did put it on as background music as i was doing some tasks before you know it's great background music but it's also really good for listening to you know just sitting back and listening the one thing that uh, kind of frustrated me and uh, you know this is just the way that I listen to albums you know one of my biggest things that I look at when I try to evaluate albums is is it memorable and uh, you know I talked about this a little bit when we talked about NF last week you know that's one of my key criteria and can I really make distinct you know, different parts of an album. Because what'll happen is I'll have an album that I like and I'll enjoy listening to it, but I can't really make distinct certain parts of it or remember certain parts. I just remember general impressions, general feelings and positive feelings and positive impressions from listening to the song. And this kind of falls in that category with me. You know, I can definitely remember a lot of the songs in particular at the start of the album i mm-hmm. think as the, as it goes on they kind of more mesh together i can see that it's not necessarily a bad thing yeah i i don't actually like i'm not offended by that take at all because taken as a 12 track whole um i do think this sort of falls short of being a great album um i very rarely listen to the last five tracks like, I think 8 is really good. I think 12 is really good. I think 9, 10, 11 are forgettable. But uh, for me, this album, and I know this might sound hyperbolic, the first seven songs basically fulfill everything that I desire out of music. <laughs> like, when I first discovered uh, this album, I was describing it as, like, my soul's music. Like, I, I was... I was actually calling it like it's like my soul music, even though soul music is definitely a different thing that doesn't describe the genre that this day and age plays. But it was like literally is what connected with me mentally, emotionally, spiritually in a way that literally satisfied the kind of stuff I want to hear, the kind of lyrics I want to think about and, and connected with me profoundly and deeply um, in a way that I don't think there's ever going to be a, a disconnect from that. And not only are you spot on that it makes just very pretty background music, um, but also makes extremely interesting, like focused headphone listening. The second song, second star to the right, uh, 
has one of my favorite song structures of all time. Uh, more of a climb, less of a walk. Uh, the longest song on the record is just such a cool proggy buildup with one of my favorite drum fills of all time uh, towards the end. Eustace is just ridiculously pretty um, with this lead guitar lick that I play on guitar all the time just because it's so nice in spite of its simplicity. But there's there's also so much going on. I This, this band now uh, is a very experimental jazz band and it's, it's interesting to know what they do now and then to go back and to hear what they were doing here and what seems like on the surface just like kind of a straightforward pop rock album in the same vein as copeland or as may um but instrumentally uh they're doing all these very tasteful nuanced things and the way that they layer their guitars and the, the bass licks, which are very complex sometimes. Sometimes, like, I think there's like one or two uh, bass licks. They're just jaw-dropping to me. It just, there's so, so much richness to find. And again, it's sad because I'm mostly just talking about these first seven tracks of the album, which really leaves me uh, yearning for more in terms of full-length album goes. And this band only had two albums, and the first one uh, I really don't think is uh, nearly as special. You know, it's... I, I will always have a special strange connection to those first uh, seven tracks. So thank you for uh, giving it a listen. Um, well, you forced me to. It's not like I had a choice. <laughs> Speaking I of... Mean, I, suppose, I suppose I could have just ignored you and not listened to this album. And then lied about it. Yes, and said that I hated it, but I'm above <laughs> that. Are you ready for my challenge for you? Did you mention it already this episode? I have not mentioned it already this episode. Okay. I really thought you were going to give me that Amy Grant album. Though at every heart and motion no, I, or whatever nope, it is. No, I'm not going to give you heart and motion. Uh. <laughs> However, I am going to give you Amy Grant's album, Lead Me On. All right. Okay. Lead Me On was actually named by CCM Magazine as the greatest Christian album of all time, which I do not agree with, obviously. That is an insane honor. Yeah, I know. It's a really audacious honor, too. I'm not sure if I've ever listened to an Amy Grant album from front to back. Um, oh, well, I, this will be a first. Hopefully, yeah. it'll be a joy. It is a lot better. I enjoy Heart and Motion, too, but it's a lot better than Heart and Motion. The one I've always wanted to hear was Age to Age. Uh, oh, mostly because yeah. I'm a big Rich Mullins fan. Yeah, so lead me on. I you you are leading me on, and I will <laughs> report back uh, next week. Alrighty then. Thank you for your time, Mark. Thank you, listeners, for doing that thing with your ears. Uh, this is the Jesus Freak Hideout podcast, and until next time, it is pronounced Dibiase. The Jesus Freak Hideout podcast is hosted by Mark Rice and me, Chase Tremaine. Production, editing, and music is also by me. The podcast is executive produced by John DiBiase and Christopher Smith. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, please send an email to Christopher at JesusFreakHideout.com. We also would love for you to participate in the conversation to let us know what you think about the episode and to hear what you would like us to discuss in future episodes. You can reach us on Facebook, on Twitter, and as always at JesusFreakHideout.com.